Hello, and welcome to the Rediscovering Play podcast brought to you by Biba. I'm your host, Mike Rosen. As we've previously discussed, our mission at Biba and the goal of this podcast is to investigate, explore, and question what it means to play for kids in this modern era. Whether that's through building mobile games designed to get kids back out on playgrounds to get the physical activity that they need, or doing a deep dive into parenting tips in this new technological age, we are committed to rediscovering the idea of play for today's families. And what better time to be rediscovering play? While many of us are finding ourselves spending way more time inside and working from home these days, it's understandable that we might be trying to figure out how best to maintain a sense of normalcy and how to avoid going completely stir-crazy while cooped up indoors. This is especially true for parents who are dealing with the fact that their children are home, schools are closed, playdates and activities are limited, and on top of that, kids have questions about what's going on in the world and parents need to know how best to answer them appropriately. How do we maintain a sense of play in these trying times? How do we play with our children in a way that's both fun and safe? How do we maximize the limits of our confined spaces to make sure that our kids are still able to get the physical activity that they need? On this next series of episodes of Biba's Rediscovering Play podcast, we aim to answer these questions and more through conversations with parents, childcare workers, medical staff, and various other industry professionals to provide you with helpful tips and tricks, new perspectives, and fresh insights to help ensure that you and your family can stay happy, healthy, and active while we navigate this new current at-home situation. Join us while we rediscover play together. On today's episode of Biba's Rediscovering Play podcast, our guest is Dr. Karen Wang. Dr. Wang is a child and adolescent psychiatrist at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto and a former educator at the Toronto District School Board. On today's episode, Dr. Karen Wang talks to us about some of the potential issues that your children might be running into in terms of anxiety when it comes to back to school during this new COVID era. She gives us some useful insights as to what might be causing some of these different behaviors and how best to deal with those behaviors. These are challenging and trying times for all of us, so Dr. Wang also goes into some detail about ways that we as parents can support each other and ourselves throughout this whole process because children are obviously going to be sensitive to that. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and find it helpful for you and your family during these challenging times. Here's Dr. Karen Wang. Hey, Dr. Wang, thanks so much for joining me today. No problem. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time, and I'm really excited to have this conversation because, you know, this is a topic that I know you've spoken about um, a little bit before, and it's also at the top of mind for many parents now that we're getting closer to kids going back to school, and there are a lot of questions and concerns that that many parents have about the psychological impacts that this is going to have on on their kids. Absolutely. I know that you've spoken at this at some length, but I mean, just at at a, at a high level, you know what what are some of the what are some of the things that parents should be looking out for if their if their children are experiencing anxiety or starting to show symptoms some or signs of that um, as they're getting ready for back to school. So, signs of anxiety typically in a child would include things like having ongoing worries, and oftentimes kids will have sort of you know somatic symptoms or physical symptoms. So they may complain of things like stomach aches, headaches, muscle aches. A lot of kids also tend to be more irritable and tired and cranky with 
younger children, they may not be able to sort of directly express how they're feeling because they're still developing language and might not have the capacity to you know, display a lot of emotional vocabulary. So what you might see with younger children is that they sort of have more temper tantrums, crying spells, and other kinds of behavioral changes. Um, so just to give you an example, if you have a five-year-old child who used to be able to sleep very well on their own before and could toilet easily on their own, sometimes with anxiety, you may see some signs of regression. So they may not be able to sleep by themselves. They may be trying to creep back into their parents' bedroom, or they may even exhibit in more sort of severe anxiety at bedwetting if they had been fully toilet trained. So these would be some of the key things to pay attention to. Now, with older children, they are often able to express how they're feeling. And so what you might see there is that they'll ask you a lot of questions. Like, what if this happens? What if I get infected with COVID? What if somebody at school touches me and I'm worried that they might be sick? They might actually even bring up concerns around death and dying quite explicitly. So depending on the age, you know, they may display different types of anxiety symptoms. And it's important just to sort of notice and be mindful of what's happening during this first month back to school. And keep in mind that I, I think, you know, with the first month, it's usually stressful for everyone anyway. And so you want to give it a little bit of time to see whether or not this is actually morphing into something that's more severe. But if you do see, you know, regularly increasing worries, more difficulty sort of with focusing and concentrating and a lot of physical complaints, I think this is where it would be wise to consult with your healthcare provider to see whether or not um, it might be appropriate to refer them for a mental health assessment. Right. And it's interesting because like you mentioned, there is a certain amount of heightened anxiety amongst children and within families anyway during back to school. And this is sort of just amplified in many cases, right? But one of the things I'm curious about, like you mentioned, for older kids who are a little bit better at articulating what it is that they're experiencing, and they might have more specific questions about the coronavirus and what that looks like. Do you have any advice on how best to handle those kinds of questions? I mean, obviously, you don't want to you don't want to hide information, you don't want to lie. But what are the best ways to sort of make sure or, or some of the healthiest ways to be able to communicate and answer some of those questions without exacerbating some of the fears or anxieties that they might be feeling? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, in general, you have to sort of understand where your child is coming from developmentally speaking. So if you have an older child who's able to understand a bit more and they have the cognitive capacity to sort of engage in understanding maybe even some of the science behind what's happening, you can give very straightforward facts. And you have to be mindful, though, as you're giving this information, how they're able to process this information. Oftentimes, they may be overwhelmed by this information. So you might want to check in with them periodically just to see, you know, is this making you feel more scared the more we talk about this? Or does this feel even more overwhelming for you? And oftentimes, if children are not able to really understand what's happening, they do give you signals as well. They may actually get distracted by the conversation. And so that might be a sort of signal that, in fact, this is over their head. And it might not be as necessary to go into explicit details or, you know, really nuanced, complex information. So you just have to stay attuned to what your child is sort of telling you and, and you know, how are they actually able to process all the information that they're given. Right. I guess the additional challenge with that also is that children are seem to be very good at picking up on even sort of like subtle energetic anxieties and things that their parents might be exhibiting as well. So if you mm. yourself are anxious about what's going on, I'm sure that your children will pick up on that as well throughout those conversations. 
Yeah, I mean, children are really in tune oftentimes with the emotional tone in the home. And so if there's a lot of parental anxiety, often what this means is that the parent is not able to be really fully present in their interactions with their kid. And so this can also have an impact on their child's ability to cope because children don't have all of the sort of coping skills to manage stress as an adult would. And oftentimes what they're learning is through observation and role modeling. So if they see that their parent is constantly worried and anxious, that actually sends a very subtle message to the child that you know, this COVID situation is very unpredictable. There's, it's too overwhelming. We can't cope. It's not safe. And if this message keeps getting repeated over and over again, it can start to undermine a child's own internal locus of, of control. Mm-hmm. So they may start to think, well, if mom and dad can't manage, then how could I manage seeing that I'm maybe only seven or eight years old? And so that's where you start to see the ripple effect happening where the parents' anxiety actually does start to impact how the kids are feeling. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess the other interesting thing is because, depending obviously on on geographic locations and what's been going on and the sort of the different areas that people live in, there's been different levels of of lockdown and different levels of sort of, you know, those those socially distanced and physically distanced bubbles that families have been able to create. And if if your tight-knit family is all in one location and you've been doing a good job of making sure that you're handling all the anxieties and the conversations and, and the feelings around those things, now there's sort of all the additional factors also of kids potentially spreading misinformation amongst their peer groups or, you know, one family or one child feeling far more anxious than another one does and either getting made fun of for those things or starting to sort of create additional fears or anxieties around kids who might not have been as scared about it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, misinformation um, amongst sort of kids happens all the time and happens in adults too. And I think as a parent, one of the ways that we can help our kids digest all the information that's out there um, is obviously allowing them to, to fact check with us and sort of turn to reputable sources of information. If a kid comes home from school and they're telling you something that you clearly know is incorrect, it would be important to ask them, you know, where are you getting this information from? Is this hearsay? Is this anecdotal information? The other thing is sometimes it's not so much misinformation as outdated information. So we know that the science on COVID-19 is evolving very quickly. And oftentimes it's that People are not able to keep up to date with what's happening. And so what was relevant, let's say, three or four weeks ago is no longer currently relevant now. And I think the best example of this would be mask wearing. You know, when when we first started in March, um, you know, the messaging around masks was that, well, it's really reserved for healthcare providers and not so much for the lay public. And obviously, with time, we're starting to see how it's actually really important um, in reducing sort of that risk of transmission for the general public. And so you're starting to see a lot of policies being changed uh, to support that. Mm-hmm. Well, it brings up another interesting point, which is, you know, masks as being a concern, especially for younger kids and a lot of parents and a lot of just public opinion seems to be that it's going to be very, very difficult to create an environment where you're getting kids in in school playing amongst themselves at recess and all those different things to be able to actually keep their masks on. Is that something that you've heard as being a concern or any, any sort of thoughts that you have on that matter? Yeah, I I do think it is a concern that many parents hold, you know, whether or not young children can wear masks. And I do think that, you know, given enough time and education and practice that even really young kids can surmount some of these challenges with mask wearing. 
Um, you know, we often underestimate how resilient and, and adaptable children can actually be. Um, just to give you an example of this, last week I saw my, my young nephew who's only age three uh, wearing a mask for over an hour outdoors. And of course it didn't start, um, you know, with that sort of length of time. His parents obviously took the initiative to introduce the idea of a mask to him allowed him to sort of choose a color and a design that he really liked. And so he was really sort of interested in it. And then they gradually built up that practice. So starting even with just like five, 10 minutes at home when he's maybe busy playing and not really noticing much about um, the mask being on his face. And then with time, he was able to get more comfortable with it so that when they now go outside, they're, they're really sort of feeling comfortable with the mask wearing. So, you know, even with young children, many of them are very adaptable. And so I do think that if we give them the opportunity to practice and we see appropriate role modeling in parents as well, that mask wearing can actually be very safe and effective. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good suggestion also, because again, this, this is zero to a hundred approach that I think people are, are, are worried is going to happen. And for some families probably might is, is sort of setting yourself up for failure. But if like you mentioned, you know, there is transparency, there is an understanding and it doesn't feel like an arbitrary thing where all of a sudden kids need to be, you know, more mindful about the way they're sharing their toys or cleaning their hands or wearing masks or whatever it might be. If they feel like they've got some agency and they're part of that conversation and they understand why and the difference that they're making in terms of keeping not only themselves and their families, but other families safe, then I'm sure that transition becomes that much easier. Absolutely. I mean, giving kids a sense of agency, I think, is, is really key here in terms of even just helping them to manage their own anxiety. Because oftentimes, uh, to sort of the, the root of what's causing the anxiety is this sense that you don't have any control and that things out there in the big wide world are just too scary to manage. And so if the messaging that we're giving to kids is, no, actually, there are some things you can do to protect yourself and to protect others, such as wearing a mask, washing your hands, staying six feet apart. I, I think that then gives confidence to the child to then go out into the world and, and still engage in it. Meanwhile, also practicing and adhering to safe practices, too. Mm -hmm. And I guess the, the challenge is, and one thing that I've heard come up a few different times in, in different conversations like this is, is about the separation anxiety that some kids might feel where because there is so much of that unknown and so much of their sort of stability is their family unit knowing that they're safe because their parents are there with them or their siblings are there with them or whatever it might be and now they're sort of losing a little bit of that and I'm sure there's always like we talked about some separation anxiety that experiences depending on the age of the child or, or the child itself when going back to school but that's got to be amplified in some cases pretty significantly throughout all this. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And the funny thing is that actually separation anxiety goes both ways. So it's not just usually the child who's anxious about separating from their parents. It's also parents that are fearful of their kids being apart. And so what happens is that both parties are actually reinforcing each other's anxiety over time because they feel safer when they're together. And then when they're apart, their anxiety revs up. And so they then quickly try to avoid being apart again. And so one of the strategies to really help manage this is that parents, first of all, need to learn to deal with their own fears and worries and evaluate, is their own level of anxiety really justified? Um, you know, are they catastrophizing the situation or do they actually have a realistic sense of the risks and harms that are out there? Because interestingly, anxious people tend to tip more towards seeing things as potentially dangerous and seeing themselves as less capable than they really are. 
So, I mean, what I, what I would recommend, I think, is for the parents to start taking some small baby steps, you know, start with just gradually exposing yourself and your child to sort of novel situations. And if you haven't gone out in months, let's say, maybe the first step is just to start off with a walk around your neighborhood. Because even that in itself might feel somewhat intimidating for many people, um, if they've been sort of locked down in their homes for months on end. And if that's in itself sort of too threatening, just to even do a walk around the neighborhood, maybe just going for a drive for 10 minutes. And then gradually building up your tolerance to new situations. So maybe then going to the park, having some time where the kid is able to sort of like run off for a little bit and then run back to you. I think the key message there is that, you know, you really want to stop avoiding um, situations um, that bring on fear because that's actually going to breed more anxiety in the long run. But do start sort of preparing for what kinds of interactions your child will, will have and to start planning ahead. Mm-hmm. It's those baby steps like we were talking about before. And I'm sure because one of the other concerns that I've heard brought up a few times is for, for children who have a little bit more of a difficult time socializing, this sort of lockdown period in many ways has sort of been the ideal situation for them because they have been able to be surrounded by people that they know in a space that feels really safe to them and haven't had to stretch their wings and sort of, you know, test the waters in potentially uncomfortable situations with with uncomfortable people if they don't feel safe around them or aren't familiar with them or whatever it might be in, in a school environment. And I would imagine that a lot of the positive work that had been done to be able to sort of address those those challenges beforehand have all, you know, one step forward, two step back kind of situation. And I would imagine that these baby steps like you're suggesting are good for for addressing those kinds of circumstances as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, I think as parents, we want to encourage this sort of healthy balance between, you know, obviously adhering to public health safety measures and being conscious of, of risk, but also thinking about, you know, our mental health and socialization and the importance of sort of keeping up with that, because we don't want to be living in either extremes. So we don't want to be living on one end of the spectrum where we sort of just throw caution to the wind and, you know, you give up on any sort of public health measures and you're just going out there risking your life and other people's safety. But living in the other extreme as well is not helpful um, because at some point we are hopefully as a society going to move beyond this pandemic we are going to have to reintegrate again and so that transition is going to also be very difficult then if you've really isolated yourself the other thing to keep in mind is that even though you might feel temporarily a little bit better because if you're an anxious individual now you're sort of staying safe in your own home Um, that can actually contribute to more isolation. And I do often see kids who later on develop symptoms of depression because they're not really socializing at all with their peers. They don't go out. They don't exercise. They're not engaging in sort of healthy, productive behaviors that we would expect for their age. And so again, it comes back to this balance. I think, you know, we, we need to be able to be mindful of what's happening in our communities and practicing safe, uh, safe behaviors, but also not giving up on opportunities to socialize. Mm-hmm. And the challenges 
are are universally felt. You know, this is this is new territory for everybody, and I think we're all still trying to figure out how to navigate all of this together as a group. And I think that reaching out even just amongst parents for for kids who are in school areas and sort of talking amongst parent groups about how best to deal with these things, the experiences they're having, also I would imagine go a long way in terms of addressing the parental anxieties, like you mentioned, that kids are going to pick up on. And this things like separation anxiety that goes both ways, that's true for all of these different experiences. And if we want to set up our kids for success, we need to make sure that we're, as parents, set up for success as well. Absolutely. I think it starts so much with the parents and their own comfort level and their understanding of the risks and um, being able to manage their own anxiety during this pandemic. And it really is going to be a marathon. You know, I, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to get a vaccine maybe by early spring next year. But that still means that we're months away from that happening. And so, you know, how can we pace ourselves as parents and uh, being mindful that obviously our emotional mental health is going to have an impact on our children's mental health as well. Mm -hmm. So no, I I think you've brought up some really good points there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, who knows what's going to happen in terms of whether schools reopen and we manage to navigate it successfully, or if things flare up again and the sort of second wave that everybody keeps cautioning about comes and, you know, what are the implications that that's going to have? And again, that's going to be new territory as well. If we've now adjusted back to being in school and now we have to adjust back to being at home and all that sort of back and forth, um, I think being prepared for those realities and, and being aware that they could rear their heads is important as well to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the key skills that whether you're a parent or a child that you're going to have to develop this year is that flexibility and tolerance of uncertainty, because there are going to be so many sort of shifting and moving parts to all of this and being able to sort of sort of take it in stride and recognize that for now, we need to focus on things sort of like one day at a time and not necessarily catastrophize about the future obviously being mindful of the future, but we still have to live our lives and being able to be present with your kid is going to be really key. So, you know, flexibility, adaptability, these are all really important resilience skills that we can help to foster in our children and the messaging that we give to them that we can do this together, I think will be really key in helping them to build up confidence in facing the future. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point. It seems like a lot of the advice and a lot of these sort of challenging situations are best addressed by, like you just said, being present, being transparent and checking in with yourself and with your children and making sure that putting these things out in the open and having those conversations so that nothing's sort of bubbling below the surface, which is where a lot of the troubles sort of stem from and making sure that, you know, we, we're feeling supported and, and feeling heard and feeling listened and able to air our concerns to, to each other as co-parents and to our children and, and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. One, I guess one last piece of advice that I would have for, for parents is that you really want to shore up on sort of your own social support network. Um, because, you know, there's so much to sort of handle the, the amount of information that we're being given on a daily basis that can be very overwhelming in of itself. Plus then, you know, a lot of parents are navigating working from home and, and some have to manage multiple jobs as well. Um, homeschooling, all of that. And, you know, I think having a strong social network would be really key. This is going to be a, a sort of a long marathon ahead of us. And so for parents, I would recommend that they sort of tap into their networks, whether it's with their family, extended family, friends, 
support groups so that they're also addressing their our suffering. It is obviously going to have an impact on their children emotionally. And so I think being able to sort of prepare and plan for that now and recognizing that those relationships also take time to cultivate, um, you know, that would be really important to sort of pay attention to. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, I, you know, I, I know that, again, like I mentioned at the beginning, this is a, a topic that I think is on a lot of people's minds and, and a lot of people are kind of curious about how it's going to go, might be a little bit worried about how it's going to go with kids going back to school. So I really appreciate you taking the time to provide your advice and your opinions on this. And I think that people are going to find it really valuable. You're very welcome. And thank you so much for having me. Great. Thanks so much again. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with our guest, Dr. Karen Wang. If you'd like to find out more about Biba's Rediscovering Play podcast, check us out at rediscoveringplay.fm and listen at any of your favorite podcast listening platforms. As always, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen and hope that you found the advice useful, helpful, and good for you and your family. Thanks so much for Rediscovering Play with us.